0: Welcome to Onco Farm. I'm your host, John Bizarre. I'm an associate professor of pharmacy practice at the supporting sponsor of Onco Farm, the Bill Gatton College of Pharmacy. It is March 25th, 2021, and we are returning for the first time in a couple months to uh, our landmarks in OncoFarm series where we look back at landmark uh, studies and publications. So we're going to do two this week. It's a bit of a twofer. Same drug. What about uh, the emergence of amend and when uh, a prepotent? Uh, came to the scene, uh, which uh, in my mind is not that long ago, but the first study is from 2003, uh, which is almost 20 years ago. So we are getting, we are getting there. So the first study we have is the Prepotent Protocol 052 study. Uh, Published in JCO in 2003 And you'll recognize the authors on this study If you follow chemotherapy-induced nausea and vomiting uh, literature uh, And the guidelines Hesketh and Grala are first and third authors respectively on this study Uh, Hesketh has a whole uh, scoring system for amenogenicity That that you see in most of the guidelines uh, to this day so uh, this is, a uh, title is Oral Neurokinin-1 Antagonist, a PrevTent for the Prevention of Chemotherapy-Induced Nausea and Vomiting, a multinational randomized all-blind placebo-controlled trial in patients treating high-dose cisplatin. So this is just our high-dose cisplatin, folks. Um, and let's get to the uh, little bit of interesting stuff in the background here. They, they do mention that unlike serotonin, their 5-HT3 receptor antagonist, NK1 receptor antagonist has demonstrated efficacy against both acute and delayed emesis. Keep that in mind. Hesketh and Gralla are authors And in their introduction They say unlike Zofrans of the world uh, neurokinin 1 antagonists uh, Have efficacy against both Acute and delayed That's because 5 ht 3 antagonists Don't typically have much efficacy In delayed nausea and vomiting They're saying that here Keep that in mind for the next study we, we go to uh, So this is the, the big phase 3 study That gets a prepped approved For cisplatin based chemotherapy Highly metagenic regimens now in the early in the phase 2 studies they had done single dose a and a for 5 days to cover the entire 5 day delayed period which intuitively makes a lot of sense they decided to use a 3 day a preptent regimen because well there was some benefit today's 4 and 5 most of the benefit were in the the first 3 days and they also adjusted the dose of dexamethasone used because a preptent basically doubles the exposure of dexamethasone it's a cyp 3 4 uh, interaction so uh, I'll be brief here, but they uh, you know, their, their main inclusion criteria are patients receiving cisplatin uh, more than seven, e- greater than or equal to 70 milligrams per meter squared. That's considered high dose. I, I would say that's standard dose. Anything above 70 per meter squared. and high dose for me, I would say above 100. So, all right, a solid dose of cisplatin, that's good. Uh, they were categorized by the Hesketh classification, and this will sound familiar to you. It goes from one to five. Uh, category 1. Less than 10% risk of metagenicity. Uh, two is up to 10 to 30%. Three is 30 to 60. Four is 60 to 90% chance of a, mis- a metagenicity. And 90% above is uh, category five. Now, in the guidelines, categories three and four are lumped together. Why that is? I don't know. But I, in actually going back and, and looking at this paper, I realized where those numbers came from is from this Hesketh classification. Why three and four are. Uh, combined, I don't know, but it makes sense that they weren't originally that way in the original uh, classification. All right, so here's the here's how they did this. All right, so they had they had about five hundred patients, two hundred and sixty folks in each arm, and they either were randomized to the control arm or the uh, the a preptin arm. So the control arm, uh, they're getting uh, on Danzatron thirty-two milligrams, a dose that is no longer on the market, thirty-two milligrams IV before chemo then dex 20 milligrams pre-chemo, and then dex 8 milligrams BID on days two, three, and four to prevent delayed uh, chemotherapy-induced nausea and vomiting. Uh, the control arm, or sorry, the aprepitant arm, got the same Zofran, uh, aprepatent 125 on day one, then 80 on days two and three, and these are oral doses of aprepatent or emend, and the dex dose is reduced roughly 50%, 12 milligrams on day one, and then 8 milligrams on days two, three, and four, again, due to that a uh drug interaction now it's a little surprising to look in the the baseline demographics and see that only 70% of patients had a cisplatin dose greater than or equal to 70 milligrams per meter squared which was due to uh, they say uh, because of different formulas at different sites in calculating BSA uh, some people actually received a lower dose than 70 milligrams per meter squared uh, so that's where we were in two thousand three you know the BSA calculation was was uh, not as standardized uh, in, in some of these uh, trials unfortunately uh, but you know these uh, the, these are well balanced uh, by uh, by group so I'm not gonna not gonna pick on that. Uh, let's look at the top line numbers here. so this is looking at overall complete response rate so an overall complete response rate means no emesis, no use of rescue therapy okay so no emesis, no vomiting, and no nausea bad enough that the patient wants to take something for breakthrough, okay? So 73% versus 52% overall, so that's both acute and delayed statistically significant, that's a a more than 20% improvement in complete response rate. Okay, so to go from 50% to 70%, that's a pretty sizable magnitude of benefit, all right? You don't need a p-value to know that that is clinically significant. Uh, You don't need a p-value to know that that's statistically significant and that it's highly clinically significant as well. Uh, now, the benefit in the acute setting was from 78% with the control to 89% complete response rate in the acute setting in that first 24 hours after chemo. And the largest benefit was seen in the delayed setting. So that's where they're getting DEX on top of a prepotent versus just DEX alone in the control. I'm going from 56% to 75%. Uh, so about a 19% absolute improvement in complete response in the delayed setting. So pretty, pretty astounding you're going from... From 52% to 73% uh, complete response rate. So no, no. Uh, that means no, again, no emesis and no uh, use of rescue therapy. So a prepotent gets FDA approved in 2003 based on this study. Overnight standard of care for high-dose uh, chemotherapy uh, everywhere. If you're not using a prepotent for cisplatin-based chemotherapy, you are below the standard of care right? or a neurokinin-1 receptor antagonist. It's maybe some of you listening know which institution I'm talking about. Okay, now let's fast forward to 2005 in JCO. Uh, this is Hesketh and Gralla, also as authors here as well, now, second and third authors respectively. Uh, this is the quote: "Efficacy and tolerability of a preptent for the prevention of chemotherapy-induced nausea and after vomiting. Uh, the prevention of CINV in patients with breast cancer after moderately." A chemo. This is MEC, moderately emetogenic. Okay? Moderately emetogenic. This is breast cancer. All these folks are getting anthracycline and cyclophosphamide. It's either doxorubicin and cyclophosphamide or epirubicin and cyclophosphamide or FEC, little 5FU on top of the epirubicin and cyclophosphamide or 5FU on top of the AC. Okay? They're all getting AC. They're all breast cancer. They're all women. Moderately emetogenic, AC. You know, AC is moderately metagenic in 2005, and our guidelines now, it's called highly metagenic. In the last 15 years, did, did doxorubicin and, and cyclophosphide become more metagenic, that it should be classified as highly metagenic? No, it's still moderately metagenic. We've just changed the meaning of highly metagenic to equate requiring a neurokina-1 receptor antagonist. Uh, we've tried to make the guidelines simpler by doing that, and not we, because think if I were on the guidelines, they'd be a little easier to follow uh, and more evidence-based. Uh, but we've done that to basically highly emetogenic t- in today's guidelines means you get an NK1 receptor antagonist. So the guidelines are following drug use, not risk. Do you, do you all see that? I hope you do. So let me read to you from uh, the introduction. Um, Recommended antimetic therapy for moderately emetogenic chemo consists of a corticosteroid plus 5-HT receptor antagonist before chemo, followed by a 5-HT3 receptor antagonist and or a corticosteroid on substance days. They say or. Uh, the authors are saying that a 5-HT3 or DEX is good for delayed. They didn't say that two years ago uh, in the first a Aprepatent study with HEC. Um, however, they go on, many physicians are reluctant to prescribe corticosteroids on multiple days and so the common approach is to use a 5-HT3 receptor antagonist on multiple days. The reference they have is an Italian study that's looking at antimetics prescribing practices. So they're saying the standard of care is what people are doing, uh, and that that's I think that's reasonable. if People are afraid of the toxicity of corticosteroids, but I wouldn't I wouldn't cite that as the standard of care because that's what everyone is doing. Well, you could argue that is actually what standard of care means, but that's not what the evidence would suggest, as these authors themselves said two years ago. All right, moving on. So this is moderately emetogenic chemo, AC. Uh, and they're randomized to either um, uh, on Danzatron, eight milligrams uh, before chemo, and then eight milligrams eight hours later. Right, so we're doing PO on Danzatron here, eight milligrams, BID. That's where the eight milligrams BID in the guidelines come from, is from this study. It's actually eight milligrams Q8 times two doses, uh, and then in uh, they got Dex, twelve milligrams before chemo but no dex on days two and three, along with a preptent 125, 80, 80 on days one, two, and three. The control arm gets the same dosing of ondansetron. They get 20 of dex uh, on day one, which would be the equivalent of 12 of dex with a preptent in the experimental group. But then instead of giving them dexamethasone on days two and three, they give them Zofran 8-POBID, which we know from prior studies is inferior to dexamethasone at preventing delayed So that's the big flaw in this study that warrants, uh, that gets this drug approved, actually. So if we go to the results here, and and these patients, as I mentioned, they're all breast cancer patients, 99.9% female in the preptent arm and 100% female in the control arm. Uh, Our complete response rate is 51%. So I want you to think about that. The complete response rate is 51% with AC, It was 72% in a cisplatin-containing regimen. All right, so let's look at this a little bit closer. If we look at the acute setting, the first 24 hours, complete response rates, 76% versus 69%, and that is statistically significant. Um, If we look at the delayed setting, the complete response rate was 55% versus 49%, not uh, statistically significant. Uh, so the overall results for complete response are 51% versus 42%. That's statistically significant. But that 51%, even with a preptin AC, numerically is lower than the 70% we saw in cisplatin. Now, this is very much an apples to oranges comparison. We know that female sex is a risk factor for chemotherapy-induced nausea and vomiting. Uh, you know, So you, you can't make that, that fair comparison. But one has to wonder what that complete response rate would have been uh, if uh, they had used dexmedazone on days two, three, and four, or days two and three, uh, like they did for cisplatin, on top of a preptent. Uh, no doubt, the efficacy numbers would have been better. Uh, but this is the way they did the study, and this is and the guidelines reflect the evidence used to get this approval for a preptent for uh, for moderately emetogenic chemo. I'm still going to call it moderately emetogenic chemo because that's. These drugs are considered moderately emetogenic. We treat it like highly emetogenic, and part of that is because the patient population where we use it is more prone to chemotherapy-induced nausea and vomiting. And lastly, I'll leave uh, you—I mentioned that in the delayed phase uh, with AC that the the complete response numbers were not uh, statistically significant— uh, however, if you look at vomiting and you ignore the the use of rescue medication, which was similar between the groups, if you look at n- no vomiting, that was 81% in the aprepitant group versus 69% in uh, the control group. So, th- And that number is statistically significant p-value less than 0.001. That still means 80% had a complete response rate. Right? That means one in five women are failing and having an episode of emesis, which uh, our goal should be no emesis. So, you know, if, if one of my loved ones gets breast cancer, uh, I, I would be advocating if they can tolerate the steroids for 5 ht 3 antagonist on day one, uh, a preptent uh, or an equivalent Neurokina-1 uh, regimen that covers the delayed nausea and period, and then dexmesome for a period of time afterwards. And if you have breast cancer patients that get the guideline-based regimen like this study from 2005 uh, would suggest you should do, and they have issues, the, the next best thing is to add dex on days two, three, and maybe four. Uh, perhaps a lower dose if they have tolerability issues because you know dex is is not well tolerated by folks and i understand the rationale to try to avoid it uh that whole rationale is why and how we ended up uh figuring out eventually that low dose dex plus linalidomide is better in the long run than high dose dex plus linalidomide uh so so i can't appreciate the desire to limit the dex uh but i also, don't want to dismiss trying to be as aggressive as we can at preventing chemotherapy-induced nausea and vomiting because uh, that's what we do. All right. Thank you for listening. Uh, next week, we should be able to do some updates. We've had some recent stuff come out, a new Pembro approval. Pembro has gone at least two weeks without an FDA approval, so it had to get its head back in the game uh, on the FDA oncology approvals website. You can follow me on Twitter at PharmDietnib. Follow the podcast uh, on both Twitter and Instagram at OncoPharmPod. And until I talk to you again, remember, doses matter.